Welcome to Malpractice Podcast. So, are you ready to get started? <laughs> yes, I am. I'm Sydney. And I'm Jess. And this is Malpractice Podcast. It is. In the afternoon. Malpractice in the afternoon. Not really the evening, but the afternoon. It's a vibe. How are you? How are things? Good. What are you up to these days? You know, just surviving, thriving. Surviving and thriving a little bit. Pregnant. Um, speaking of pregnant, can we talk about this DM that we got today? Let's talk about Melinda. Okay, this is the nicest uh, DM that we've got in a long time. I'm just going to call her Melinda because I won't say her last name for whatever privacy reasons, but I'm just going to read her DM. Is that weird? Yeah. Okay. Well, she said, is it weird? Is it? Should we just summarize it? I don't know. I just wanted to give her a shout out because we got a really nice DM from Melinda who said she's a, a longtime Mal Pal, first time writer. She said, I wanted to tell you guys that you are amazing and so funny. This feels like we're just really full of ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> um, Let's summarize it instead. She likes red. She likes when we say red flags and there's a lot of them in the story we're about to tell. Yeah. Uh, she is also a nurse practitioner in Indianapolis. Yeah, she she wrote like, how do I write? How do I write the pew, 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 the laser sounds? <laughs> <It's> <laughs> so I'm cute. like, that's how. Uh, perfect. Honestly, perfectly done, Melinda. I just wanted to say thank you. And also, when you put out like creative content, it's really nice to hear sometimes that someone is enjoying it, and then you hear that that person is like a nurse practitioner from Indianapolis and I texted Jess and I was like what is our life yeah I think like we always really appreciate we've talked about people's message people's messages Mm -hmm. people messaging us before and like we we appreciate it like we read them all we Sydney texts me like did you see yeah the message and I think like Melinda you probably just wrote that because you had some time but we'll keep that forever. <laughs> yeah, screenshots are saved. <laughs> so thank you so much. Yeah. Um, and I agree. It feels kind of like, oh, you're really out there. <laughs> right. People are really listening. People in Indianapolis <laughs> are listening to our stuff, and that's cool because, you know, sometimes it's easy to put stuff out and feel like you're just talking to yourself. So thank you. Which I'm also okay with. I'm also fine with just having a conversation, just the two of us. But I do, you know, it's nice. That- just the two of us. <laughs> we are gonna get sued. Just the two of us. <laughs> we'll cut it. It's fine. Well, yeah, we'll cut everything. So shout out to you, Melinda. You're shout the best. out, girl. Simply the best. Um, This weekend I went to L.A. Yeah, Sydney had a cool weekend. Yeah, I went to Universal Studios for the first time. It was really cool. I've never, never been. They have a Harry Potter world that blew my mind. Yeah. Like, as an avid Harry Potter fan, they have recreated Hogsmeade, and they have a Hogwarts castle up on the hill, and you could, like, go in and do a ride. That's so cool. Changed my life. Yeah. It was so cool. Yeah. It was very cool. I want to go. It was so fun. I highly recommend a trip out to Universal. I never go anywhere. That's not true. You're always on a trip. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. No, that's really cool, though. I think it was like, it was cool to see your posts and stuff. Yeah, they opened, while we were there, they opened a Super Nintendo World. Eric and I play a lot of, like, Mario Kart together. 
as a oh, do you? as an extracurricular activity. Yeah, it's like when we get tired of watching TV or we're like out of shows or whatever, or we just want to compete against each other, I guess, we'll play Mario Kart. Mm, okay, okay. And the new ride at uh, Super Mario World is Mario Kart based, so it was fun. That's cool. Yeah, you had a good weekend. Yeah, it was a really good time. It was fun, yeah. And it was like a surprise trip or last minute or... It was very last minute, yeah. I love that energy for you. It was super fun. Yeah, we just, in the last like couple weeks, decided to go somewhere. Yeah, that's good. It it's was good cool. to do that. Yeah. What else? What's new with you? Oh, um, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sick. <laughs> oh, Corey did drag me to the ground. While we were FaceTiming. Corey's my dog. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, while we were chit-chatting. Um, so that was cool. And her. so Jess's wife, Michelle, am I allowed to say that Michelle wants to give her away now? <laughs> <laughs> I guess she doesn't. We just... Um... Yeah, I think pulling a pregnant lady down is not good dog behavior for sure. Yeah. You can't So we that. got a shot collar. Listen, I know there are mixed feelings about shot collars, so I'm saying this like... We got one that has all of these phases mm-hmm. where you can do like sound. Oh. And not a not a shock or like vibrate. That's cool. Um or like a combo and then there's like an, a shock but you can it's on an app on your phone so you can decline oh, the shock. Oh, that's cool. So we can figure out what works. But she can't drag me to the ground. No, <laughs> that's that's reasonable. Yeah. Especially not Especially not while you're pregnant, but just in general. I think it's best. Yeah. It's hard, though, because dogs love to pull on the leash. They do love to pull. They love it. She really loves it. Why am I talking about this like I know anything about training a dog? You know her. I do know Corey, yeah. She's all about it. Training a dog is not something I'm really familiar with because I am a ride or die cat. And I consider myself a dog person, but I have three cats. <laughs> I Well, to be fair. So at this point, I'm a certified cat person you're yeah well to be fair your baby cat is a dog essentially she's the size of a dog for sure she gives dog energy she does she always wants to be around me every time jess and i go to record she like breaks into this room and wants to be near me and i'm like you have ignored me all day but now while the microphone is on maybe she's like uh she wants to be in the limelight she wants to be heard she on the pod she's a fancy cat she is what else just trying to prepare my life for a baby so not super exciting (laughs) (laughs) i mean it is super exciting objectively i think yeah no yeah getting ready for a baby feels like a big exciting step yeah anything else you want to talk about i don't think so i'm like really excited to get into this episode so same shout out to sydney who did the bulk of the research this person was on her list for a long time this person has been on my list for a while yeah like probably since we started let's be honest literally since we started and probably years before i knew i was gonna have a podcast i was kind of already obsessed with this case and i'm excited because i think it's right on on the fine line with like medicine Mm -hmm. and crime so Shout out to Sydney for the work, and yeah, let's oh, let's you. jump into it. Okay, so if you're a true crime buff, as I am, you have almost definitely heard of the case of Dr. Sam Shepard and the murder of his wife, Marilyn Shepard. Uh, basically, everybody that has a medical or true crime podcast or some combination of those two things has done this already, but if you have not heard of this case, yeah, I'm going to need you to go ahead and buckle up. Mm-hmm. Because the whole story start to finish is a wild ride. Mm -hmm. 
And it's pretty rare for a murder mystery to be as infamous and enduring as this one. Also, every single person who hears this is going to have an opinion about who did it. I personally cannot wait to hear yours, Jess, at the end of this recording. So, yeah. well, at the end of, I guess, part two. You know me. I'll pass judgment real quick. <laughs> That's all I ever ask, really. This, this podcast should have been called Passing Judgment. Honestly? Are we renaming? <laughs> <laughs> are we? Do we remark it? Also, this case is technically unsolved, but lots of people think they have the answers, and we're frankly just here to add to that mountain of speculation. Yeah. So... We're here for a good time. And that good (laughs) time is this episode. A good time and a long time, I would say. That's what we're here for. For sure. This episode is also going to be a two-parter because there is so much information out there about this case. We want to give you as much of it as we can. So let's go. Okay. Now I'm going to take you all the way back to the night of July 3rd, 1954. The 50s. The 50s. Everything in this story is so... It's so the 50s. Strongly 50s. Like, oh, we don't lock our door. Why would you lock your door? I'm like, you should always lock your door. You should always lock your door. 100% of the time. That's a red flag. (laughs) A red flag is not locking your door. Mm -hmm. So Dr. Sam Shepard is a neurosurgeon at a nearby Ohio hospital called Bayview. And his wife, Marilyn, is four months pregnant with the couple's second child, They live in a beautiful, stately, lakefront home in a town called Bay Village, which is kind of a a posh suburb of Cleveland, Ohio. Side note, have you ever been to Cleveland or Ohio? I don't think so. I was thinking about that because I've, like, been to so many states. It's possible I've driven through it, but I don't think I've made a pit stop. I don't think I've been there either, but your family is from... Michigan. Well, yeah, but I just mean they're from, like, the mid... Is Michigan the Midwest? It is, right? Sure. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, maybe they've been to Ohio. Anyway, so Sam and Marilyn are this attractive young couple. They're high school sweethearts. At this point, when, when all this goes down, they're in their early 30s. They're, like pretty all-American. They love to do active outdoor things. They golf and water ski together. They love hosting parties, dinner parties, whatever. So that's what's happening on this night, July 3rd, 1954. They're having one of their usual dinner parties for their neighbors, Don and Nancy Ahern, and their two children who are playing with the couple's first son, who is seven years old, and everyone calls him Chip. Although his name is technically Sam Jr., which may or may not be important later. Mm. Take it or leave it. Okay. Why did they call him Chip? I don't know. I couldn't find anything about that. Questions that need answers. I also didn't look that hard because I was like, I don't know. That's kind of a cute nickname, I guess. Maybe he's like a, a chip off the old block. Maybe they remind, maybe he reminds mm-hmm. them of young Sam. I, I don't know. Whatever. The four adults and the three kids have, like, a casual dinner with drinks. Uh, The kids probably don't have drinks, but the adults do. Probably not. For sure. Maybe some water. Some Some casual... uh, Probably some soda, let's be clear. It's the 50s. They're drinking soda with cocaine in it. Yeah, they are. are. (laughs) Correct. So when dinner is over, they move out onto the screened-in patio... The adults are finishing their cocktails. The kids are playing. It's like a very casual evening, and they're all watching the sunset over Lake Erie. 
because this is like a really pretty area and it's right they're on that lake their back patio like backs up to lake erie mm-hmm. so they're right on the lake everything seems super normal and then as the night goes on the Ahern's children start to get tired so the father don drives the kids home puts them to bed leaves them there and heads back to the shepherd's home which I think to me sounds weird. Immediately. In 2023. Immediately red flag. Maybe it was. I'm about to throw. I'm about to flag on the play this entire episode. No, you should. You should. Flag it when you feel like a flag needs to be thrown because maybe it was normal for 1954, but I feel like it's weird. I don't love it for the 50s. Like, who can say? But I also couldn't find anywhere the ages of these kids. Mm. So if they were like 13, maybe maybe it's more normal. Okay, so they leave the kids at home. Dawn comes back. They're chilling. And these people are drinking, leaving their children. Anyway. And driving. <laughs> I judge them. Anyway. Drinking, driving, leaving their kids at home. So yeah. just a recipe for like a great time. Mm-hmm. So Marilyn tucks seven-year-old Chip into bed and heads back downstairs. And the four adults sit down to watch the movie Strange Holiday on one of the two available television channels because it's 1954 and... Bless their hearts. Can you imagine having two channels? No, are you joking? I get so impatient with the commercial. I usually flip the channel. Yeah. I, no. (laughs) Sucks. Bye-bye. Okay. So, Marilyn puts Chip to bed. She comes down. She sits on Sam's lap on the couch for a while as they watch TV. That is weird. Moving on. But, in my opinion. Okay, thank you for saying that. I would never sit on Eric's lap while we were watching TV with friends. If you did, I'd be like, something's wrong. Like, Eric might get murdered tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Eric did something Something wrong. Someone here is unwell. Yeah. Yeah, Sydney's trying to smother him. I don't know if that was normal for them. It's probably normal. The Ahern family acts like it's super normal. Okay, well. And they hung out with this couple a lot. The Malpals say, that's weird. I think it's a red flag. I mean, flag on the play. Yeah. Unless they had a really small couch. (laughs) Uh, I'm sure they did. It was the 50s. It was the 50s. Yeah. Okay. Keep going. But Sam had a really long day at the OR at Bayview Hospital, so he eventually moves over to the day bed, which is also in the living room, and falls asleep as they finish the movie, which who among us hasn't done that? Mm -hmm. I love to sleep on a couch. Literally, if I'm asking to watch a movie, it's a joke. Fall asleep during every movie. Yeah. I'm sleeping. I might catch the credits and then I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> yep, exactly. Um, Sydney and I have spent many a night falling asleep to all the things. <laughs> Correct. Criminal Minds. Mm. Marilyn presumably decides that since Sam has already had like a really long day, she'll let him continue sleeping on the day bed and she walks the Aherns out at around midnight and heads upstairs to bed herself. If you believe Sam's story, then the next thing he knows, he's woken up during the early hours of the following morning, around 5 a.m., by his wife screaming his name. Mm-hmm. And the if you believe his story is the biggest if of the entire case, because basically the next thing that anyone hears from the Shepherd family is at 5.40 a.m., the following morning, the mayor of the suburb town where the shepherds live is awoken by a call from Dr. Shepherd. When the mayor, Spencer Huck, picks up the phone, he hears Sam's voice on the other end saying, quote, my God, Spence, get over here quick. I think they have killed Marilyn. And I, like a lot of people who have researched this case, would honestly really like to hear the recording of that phone call. 
Yeah. Because number one, I feel like acting is really hard and people seem to get it wrong on these calls. After they find their loved one's body, they do a really bad job sometimes. Mm -hmm. Like, you remember the staircase? Yes. The 911 calls from the staircase, if you believe that he killed his wife, Mm -hmm. it sounds like total bullshit. Mm -hmm. It sounds like he's a bad actor. If you believe that he didn't kill his wife, then they sound panicked and scared and he's like in shock, right? He's frantic because his wife has just fallen down the stairs. I feel like that's the vibe that you would get if you could hear a recording of this call. Yeah. So the mayor and his wife, Esther, quickly get dressed and drive the short distance to the shepherd home. I think it was like three houses down. Why are they driving? Just get out and walk Walk. or run. So maybe they thought it would be faster. I don't know. They get dressed. They drive to the shepherd home. Guaranteed. It's not. It's confusing. When they get there, they find Sam Shepard shirtless in his den, leaning back in his swivel chair and like holding his neck like he's in pain. Spencer and Esther, which are probably the most 50s couple's name I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. Esther. Mm-hmm. I've I, In modern days, you would never meet an Esther, I don't think. Is it pronounced just Esther? Esther. But it's probably it's Esther. Like <laughs> why, do, why am I pronouncing the TH so hard? Uh, <laughs> Whatever. So they're like, yo, Sam, what happened? And he tells them this sort of coherent story, which is also almost exactly what he repeats back to the police later. He says he woke up to the daybed. He woke up on the daybed, hearing his wife screaming his name upstairs. He runs up the dimly lit stairs to their bedroom where he sees an intruder dressed in all white standing next to his wife's bed. He runs up and grapples with the intruder and somehow gets hit on the back of the head and knocked unconscious. Mm-hmm. When he comes to, he checks Marilyn's pulse, which Okay, yes. He touches her, checks her pulse, touches her, determines that she has has been killed, she's dead. And then he runs to Chip's room where Chip is sleeping completely unharmed and and also not awoken by whatever's going on. By any, any scuffle. Right. So he was downstairs. The yelling woke Sam up. Chip's bedroom was next to Marilyn's bedroom, and it did not wake Chip up. Slept through the whole thing. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Just so you have the full details. It's just laying laying that foundation. Right. And sprinkling that doubt. Just sprinkle. So after realizing that his son is okay, he says that he runs downstairs again. Always up and down the stairs, this guy. Mm. Where he sees the same person still, mm-hmm. all in white, running out the back door into onto the screen patio that faces Lake Erie. Shepard then says that he chased the intruder out onto the beach where he caught the person and they fought again. And then, uh, please hear the sarcasm in my voice because <laughs> I don't believe him. Okay. Um, and then he lunged towards the alleged killer. Something happened and he lost consciousness again. He says he woke up when the sun started to rise. Now he's wet because he's half in the lake mm-hmm. and missing his shirt. And his watch. Why would you take some shirt? <laughs> That's a question that okay. we never get a good answer to. Whatever. His shirt is gone. Okay. They don't know where it went. The watch makes sense. The shirt. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he runs back into the house to call the mayor. Mm-hmm. That's what he says. Right. Also, it is odd to me. Yeah. Just list the things. That his first call was to the mayor 
of the town. That's not odd. That is alarming. I So I did look into it, and the first 911 calls weren't available until February of 1968. Mm-hmm. He says that the mayor, who is their friend, was the first number that he could remember. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if maybe he thought that by calling the mayor, he could get police there faster. But it comes up in the trial, like, basically, you just delayed her body being found by police, like, like an hour, because you called the mayor, and then the mayor came over. And then the police were alerted? Like, yes. why would you do that? It's also odd that Sam is, like, sitting in the chair, they have a conversation about what happened, and then the mayor and his wife are the first people to discover Marilyn's body, and then they call the cops. Yeah, he he doesn't call the cops. It reminds me a lot of, uh, you know the John Benet Ramsey case? Yes. The parents call the neighbors in to find yes. the body. Like, they needed someone else to be the person yeah. that tells the police about it, mm-hmm. which I feel like you could read in several different ways. Either it's the fact that it's, like, the person you love most in the world who has been brutally murdered and you simply cannot deal with it, or you're guilty and you can't handle what you've done after the fact. Guilty. Okay. Just just something to think about. So when they finally do get the cops there, it's around 6.02 in the morning. And the first officer on the scene is Bay Village Police Officer Fred Drankan. Drankan. That's great for me. Drankan. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, Sam gives his story again to the officer, including a new detail about the intruder having bushy hair, but saying that nothing else about the person was really identifiable. He claimed that his inability to be more specific was probably because he'd been knocked unconscious two times. Right. In some scuffling situation. Yeah. I mean, in my professional opinion. As a doctor. Being knocked unconscious twice mm-hmm. isn't great for your brain. If it did actually happen to him, it just seems really convenient to me that he couldn't remember a single detail about the person who brutally murdered his wife. He just fought on the beach? Right. Like, (laughs) you just fought him. He was close enough to knock you unconscious. You couldn't remember what race he was, anything about his physical appearance other than he was wearing all white. He took your shirt, (sighs) which is also unbelievable in my opinion. I have a lot of feelings about that because I'm like... Who is going to murder someone in all white? So if he's wearing all white, was he not covered in blood? We'll get there. We'll get to that part. And speaking of covered in blood, this part is going to get a little bit gruesome because I'm about to describe how Marilyn died. So if you are not comfortable as a listener with that, you're going to go ahead and hit that 30 second forward button maybe two or three times just to be safe. Skipping 10. So Officer Fred listens to Sam's story and then he heads up the stairs toward the couple's bedroom where the crime had taken place. He finds Marilyn on the bed, lying face up, facing sort of toward the door, and she had been badly bludgeoned. Um, She was hit approximately 35 times total. Jesus Christ. Right. With 27 of those being to her head and face, which at this point was essentially unrecognizable because of the damage. She had a broken nose, shattered skull. There were gashes all over her face. She had pretty severe defensive wounds, including a torn fingernail and two broken teeth. Mm, mm -hmm. 
like the investigators would later go on to say she probably bit the intruder so hard that it broke her teeth off. Well, good for her. Like she fought this person hard, you know? Yeah. Investigators would also later say that there was some evidence of sexual assault. Her pajama top was pushed up around her neck, so her breasts were exposed. Her pajama pants had been pulled down on one leg, leaving her body basically exposed from the waist down. Other than that, there were no other signs of assault or rape, and her body was angled in a really weird way so that her lower half was pulled beneath a wooden bar at the foot of the bed. Like you have a headboard and then you have a kind of a footboard, but there's a gap between the footboard and the mattress, right? Yeah. So she was like pulled down below that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so weird. It's very weird. So in no way trying to like minimize what happened to her, she fought her attacker really hard and the police don't actually think that she was was sexually assaulted because although there were there were like handprints in blood where someone had grabbed her legs and dragged her to the foot of the bed but that weird bar thing would have prevented anybody from being physically able to assault her got it because it's like in the way if that makes sense yeah 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 that does make sense okay an autopsy would later determine her time of death occurred at quote about 4 30 a.m The autopsy also showed Marilyn to have been pregnant with a four-month-old male fetus. The whole thing is, like, terrible, sad, Mm -hmm. horrible. And the websites where you find information about this um, are not shy about showing the crime scene photos. So Google with caution. Yeah, for sure. It is stuck in my head forever, and I don't want it there. Yeah, I wouldn't want it there Mm -hmm. after not securing the room where the crime actually occurred because again it's the 50s and if i've said it before i'll say it again i can't always trust these officers not in the 50s um sometimes they surprise us and sometimes they don't and this time they do not Mm -hmm. because we're surprised by the good work (laughs) anyway (laughs) i will get off that little soapbox it's a soapbox i'm comfortable with oh yeah same i love that soapbox at my bedside (laughs) officer fred goes back to investigate the rest of the house which appeared to have been kind of like neatly ransacked yeah he assumed it was possibly either a robbery or at least a staged robbery because drawers were pulled out and searched but nothing actually appeared to be missing Mm -hmm. not many valuables seem to have been taken from the home but a bowling trophy was scratched and broken um, and Sam's medical bag had been dumped on the floor in the hallway. Just, like, really weird stuff that... Yeah, it's just odd. Like... Wouldn't have happened, <laughs> probably. Why would a robber dump out his medical bag unless, I guess, they were looking for drugs? Right. That's the only thing I can think of. Same. Um, and they found all of the missing belongings from the home in a green duffel bag that had been thrown into the bushes outside the family's home. So, mm-hmm. at minimum, it's a terrible robber and just awful at the craft right just terrible (laughs) um i love that calling robbery a craft is chef's kiss um and this includes sam's watch which he had been wearing during both encounters with the intruder um but he is you know lost his shirt and his watch on the beach right whatever where is his shirt we don't know yeah so the watch is going to come up several times but it's odd to me that the watch 
which the robber would have had to take off him after the second attack. Mm -hmm. Then the robber would have had to go back to the house to get this duffel bag, Mm -hmm. put the watch in the duffel bag, and then leave everything behind anyway. And then put it in the bushes. Right? It's weird. It's like you're not a good you're not good at your craft as a robber. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're not good at your craft. Yeah. Speaking of not securing the crime scene, while additional cops are arriving and helping to investigate, in quotes, one of the shepherd's neighbors who just so happened to be one of the best NFL quarterbacks of his day, a guy named Otto Graham of the Cleveland Browns, and you know that was something Sydney put in here cuz I mm-hmm. definitely would mm-hmm. not know or care about That's that. That's true. <laughs> I'm like, we're the Cleveland Browns. We're going to get hate mail from Cleveland. Sorry, Cleveland. Just so happened to stop by the house to see what all the cops are there for. And they gave him a tour of the crime scene as you do. It's just so bad. Yeah, it's just a no. Like, why would you give an NFL quarterback a tour? Why would you let him walk around the room? Why would you give anyone a tour? That's weird. I bet the cops were like starstruck and they were like, oh my god, do you want to come in and see what we're doing? That's so weird. It's fucked up. Yeah, they straight to jail. Mm -hmm. Apparently Otto's wife, Beverly, was a good friend of Marilyn's. Yeah. While Otto was away playing football, Sam Shepard would take Marilyn and Beverly water skiing in the lake. The Saturday evening post quoted Graham on what he thought he as he viewed the blood spattered room, which is like also really weird that he's doing this interview. It's weird. Um, And he knows the person, which makes it like triple weird. It's just it's a no. It's a red flag. Yeah, oh, for sure. And he said, oh, my God, it looks like someone stood in the middle of the room with a great big can of red paint and a brush and flicked it all around. This wasn't a couple of blows. Oh, no. Whoever did it, they had to be out of their mind. Which the cops had to be out of their mind, letting you waltz around. Waltz through a crime scene and then describe it later to the press. Love that for nobody. Right. This is how you don't solve a crime. Literally, this is also not good at your craft. (laughs) No one here is good at their craft. Policing 101. (laughs) So aside from letting everyone and their mother walk through the crime scene, the cops also did something that you're really not supposed to do now. Oh my God, I'm shocked. (laughs) Fair. That's immediately focused their attention solely on Sam Shepard. Like, they did not look at basically anyone else at the time. Mm. In fact, when the Cuyahoga County... Good job. Hey, thank you. I feel like I'm going to get some hate mail for how I pronounce that. I was like, (laughs) well, that is a word. (laughs) Uh, Thank you. It's not easy. I looked it up, though. I did do some research on that. Uh, So this guy, the county coroner for this county is named Sam Gerber. He's going to come up a lot. Lots of Sams. Lots of Sams. Lots of Sams here. Um, But this guy's going to come up a lot throughout the rest of the story. So Sam Gerber and an investigator arrive at the Shepherd's home shortly before 8 a.m. This is the day of the murder. He was immediately suspicious. Okay. And began conducting his own investigation based on the assumption that the crime was a domestic homicide. Like, people said... As soon as he walked into the room, he was like, oh, it was Dr. Shepard. Like, we don't have to oh, well. talk about who did this. And you probably shouldn't do that as a cop, Baru. Yeah. But is he? No, he's a coroner. Okay. He's a coroner, which I think at this time was an elected official position. Oh, that's But I think good. you, like, work closely with the cops. Yeah, it's that's a whole separate conversation. This so, is all a mess. Okay, great. It's a mess. Yeah, the whole thing is a mess. And as a result of him... Basically, immediately believing that it was Dr. Shepard, 
He devoted less effort to recovering other people's fingerprints, blood evidence, basically any forensic evidence that might have been expected in a more neutral investigation. Mm. There's like a strong bias against Sam Shepard from the beginning. I agree to the bias. I I don't. (laughs) (sighs) Just for the fact that he said he was attacked twice and lost his shirt, but the shirt was not recovered. He's either. This is how I feel. I'm just going to say it now. He's either the most unlucky person in the world who got severely screwed over by the circumstances or he did it. Yeah. I think those are the only two solutions, but there's some other angles. Okay. The cops do also immediately find some inconsistencies with his story and they, like Jess, find it kind of outlandish. Like his whole story is just a lot to process. Mm -hmm. However... We all also know that you're much more likely to be murdered by your spouse or intimate partner than by a stranger. Right. So By a stranger who stole all your stuff and then also returned it. Right. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. I don't know. It's so weird. Like, the person who was trying to burglarize the home is either a very bad burglar and had a lot of rage against the wife. Mm-hmm. Because that comes up in the trial. Like, why would a burglar commit a murder with this much overkill. Yeah. No, why? Like, hitting somebody 35 times is a lot of times to hit them. And why didn't anyone wake up? Yeah. Why did none of the neighbors wake up? Why was Sam the only person in the house who woke up? And also, he didn't wake up at the murder. Mm -hmm. He woke up because his wife is calling for him. Yeah. At the end of her life. So she wasn't yelling before. Yeah. And I guess if you believe that somebody woke her in her sleep... And started attacking her, then maybe it makes sense because she's screaming out as she's being attacked. But I think to hit somebody 30 times would take a lot of time. Correct. Yeah, I agree. Like, I'm just imagining, like, how much time that would be and how much she would have been making noise if she was, like, defensively, like, had all those defensive wounds. Yeah, 100%. Like, she bit someone so hard she broke her incisors off. Like, this was a struggle. Mm-hmm. And I just thought about the fact that if he's sleeping downstairs, the burglar would presumably have to walk past him. I don't know the exact layout of the house, but if they came in through anything in the basement or first floor, they would have probably had to walk past him. Yeah. And they ignored him. Which is weird. The probably more sizable threat. Yes. He was like a very uh, strong looking athletic man. And they like I, go and murder... Well, first they dump his bag on the floor. Who doesn't wake up to that? I'd wake up. I'm a light sleeper. I would wake up to probably any of this. Yeah. I like to think. <laughs> Someone breaking in my house, I'd be like, wait a minute. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's like weird to ignore him sleeping downstairs and go upstairs and like not deal with him as a threat. Because you know that if he wakes up, he's going to fight you, right? Yeah. But then I think about for the... Um, Golden State Killer, that was, like, part of his M.O. Like, he wanted the husband to be there. Mm. I, I don't know. It's it's weird. We can get into that more. But the cops basically immediately focus on Sam, as have we. <laughs> now, in more modern times, I think you would try to look at it from all angles. And so, speaking of the other angles that you could look at it from, let's get into... Um, there's this handyman, <laughs> okay, that had recently been doing some work in the Shepherd's home. At the time of the murder, he was 25 years old. His name is Richard Eberling. 
and he owned a small company called Dick's Window Cleaning. Okay. Marilyn and Sam were among his clients. He had very recently been in their home doing, like, window cleaning work, right? He tells people later that he was particularly fond of Marilyn. He talks about how beautiful and, quote, immaculate she was. He talks about, like, the teeny tiny shorts she wore around the house. This is also the 50s. He was very into Marilyn. Let's just say that. Men thought that was the appropriate way to discuss women. That's also true. Uh, He says some really creepy shit later on. Oh. But he tells the investigators about this time when she made him brownies and the way that they don't in- they don't interview him at all, like, after the murder. This is, like, way, way, way down the road. He tells investigators some pretty creepy shit about Marilyn. But the whole brownie thing at face value is fairly innocent. But Eberling was later arrested for grand larceny, insurance fraud, burglary, and eventually the murder of an older woman that he had been caretaking for. And when they searched his home, they found an expensive cocktail ring that had belonged to Marilyn inside his dresser. Mm. And he said all that creepy ass shit about Marilyn and then also like women in general mm-hmm. when he was being interviewed. Yeah, he sounds like a he sounds like a suspect. Like I'm he's sus. We could talk about it more if you want. He's sus as fuck. The cops, like during the time of Sam's trial, they say there was no forced entry. They later find that there was evidence of forced entry into the basement. This guy, Eberling, had no alibi for the night of the murder. Mm-hmm. He had a known history of weird behavior toward women. And then later on, police sketches from two people in the neighborhood at the time that are eyewitnesses see this guy leaving that they describe as being very similar to Eberling on the morning of the murder. Okay. Okay. But... The coroner, Sam Gerber, basically told the police to drop okay, okay. Well, Eberling as a suspect and focus on Sam Shepard. No. <laughs> I don't know that I'm 100% convinced by that. Yeah. But he's suspect for sure. He should have been a suspect from, from the jump. Okay. So he also did it. In my opinion. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe they were in it together. That's terrible to say. Maybe they were in it to win it. Literally. At the time, though, no one's looking into him, right? Mm -mm. Their attention is focused on Sam. The coroner is like, look at Sam. And everyone's like, okay. Okay. That's a great idea. Everybody. That's great. Nobody think about anyone else. Just listens to the coroner. Right. Correct. Police collected his clothes when he went to the hospital to be seen for the wounds he had around his face and neck. And found that while his clothes were wet, which matched the weird story he told about fighting on the beach, which is weird. It is. There's little other evidence that he had been laying on a beach. Like, there's no sand, there's no rips, Mm -hmm. etc. And he had a massive blood stain on the knee of his pants, indicating that he knelt down in blood, which investigators found interesting. Mm -hmm. While under sedation, Sam was interviewed by detectives relentlessly, but he stuck with his seemingly weird story. Mm -hmm. Right? And I also don't think you should interview people under sedation, but here we are. No, you definitely shouldn't. And they did without a lawyer present. Mm. So that's weird. Well, that's that's the police for you. <laughs> when Detective Robert... Oh, God. I think it's Schottke. Schottke. Oh, interesting. That's a good name. <laughs> Detective Robert Schottke directly accused Shepard, quote, I don't know about my partner, but I think you killed your wife. Shepard insisted I loved Marilyn. Which is not the same as I didn't do it, but... That's not a denial. Yeah. For sure. (laughs) Yeah. Red flag. Another flag. 
While detectives are interviewing Sam at the hospital, the police at the crime scene, after letting literally anyone walk through, Casual. finally sealed the shepherd home. After everyone in the neighborhood has walked through, had a look, had one of those famous brownies, etc. That's a lie. <laughs> oh my god. They took a souvenir from the crime scene. <laughs> Um, immediately, and then they brought it back and put it in a green bag. Anyway, immediately <laughs> after the, the crime. that's what you do as a burglar. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, that's what you do when you're bad at your it craft. It took me a second to, like, understand. They put it in a green bag, and then I was like, oh, green bag. <laughs> <laughs> um, the next day, the whole case became a media frenzy. Duh. Yeah. Um, the Cleveland Press ran a front page article with a huge picture of Marilyn and the banner headline saying, Doctor's wife murdered in Bay Village, and the media coverage doesn't stop until way after the trial is over. And at this point, the day after the murder, lines of cars start driving past the Shepherd home, and everyone in the area is watching this case like intently mm-hmm. unfold. It's a lot. The media, <sighs> the media presence around this case is insane. Everyone is also watching it. I think because of how nice and posh this neighborhood was right because of the fact that it's the 50s because of the fact that they're it's a young attractive white woman who has been murdered and they only had two tv channels they only had two tv channels there's nothing to do for entertainment everyone is watching this case intently and speaking of intently i really hope that we've given you enough of an intro to keep you hooked for part two i'm sorry to do this on like a map what what feels like a massive cliffhanger yeah Because this is where we're going to end part one for now. And then next week, we're going to cover all of the evidence out there, both for and against Dr. Sam Shepard. And we'll take you guys through his entire trial, which actually ends up being three different trials. I love it when they do that. It's crazy. So I would at this point say our usual catchphrase. That's what we know about that. But friends, we are just getting started on this one. So that's some of what we know. That's part of what we know. Yeah. The scooch. So thank you for listening to this episode and next week will be part two. If you have a recommendation, hit us up malpracticepodcast at gmail.com or a DM like our bestie mm-hmm. Melinda um, on Instagram malpracticepodcast. If you get a chance, uh, you can rate or review us wherever you like to listen to your podcast. As evidenced by our discussion about Melinda earlier, we'd love to hear your feedback. Thanks again for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this, and we'll see you next week for the conclusion of this case. And don't forget, now practice makes makes perfect. perfect. Why am I so slow? (laughs) Bye.